Hello and welcome to another edition of Our Line Starts slash the Hockey Happy Hour. Liam McHugh here. Keith Jones is with us. We're also joined by our insider slash cottage-dwelling trusted advisor, Bob McKenzie. It's been a long time. It's good to have you back on. Good to talk to both of you guys. Coming up in just a bit, we're going to bring you Catherine Tappan's conversation with the great one and the great eight, Wayne Gretzky and Alexander Ovechkin. But let's get started with some news here and, Bob, the potential of a season restart. What details are you hearing when it comes to the league putting together an outline to get things going? Well, I think the first premise you start with when you talk about this is how badly the National Hockey League wants to not only conduct the 2020 playoffs in some form, but also have some reasonable facsimile of finishing the 2019-20 season. And I know there's a lot of people at home and they hear that and they're like, give me a break, just cancel the season and let's aim for next year. And there's other people who say, there's a pandemic going on here. There's more important things to worry about than getting hockey restarted or whatever. Um, But here's the thing. The National Hockey League knows it's very much at the mercy of all the health and welfare authorities, various levels of government, be it municipal, state, provincial, federal, you name it. And But it pays to have a plan. And as I said, they, they have this very determined attitude that they're going to make this happen. And, and there's a big financial reason why. I mean, depending who you talk to, $350 million to $500 million are, is on the line if the NHL can come back with no fans in the stands and just finish – the regular season to 76 or 78 or 80 or 82 games, as well as have a playoff. So that's the plan now. There's a lot more detail in terms of the various phases they would have to go through to try and make that happen. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Bob, what would be the first phase then, if we're going to look at it chronologically, what would be the first phase in the, in the hopes that they'll return? Well, we're in the first phase right now, and it's not a good phase. It's the lockdown phase. It's the bad air phase. Um, you know, it's, it's everybody basically, European players are in Europe, the American players in the United States, and, and the Canadians are in Canada. Um, so fit, that's phase one. Now, with a lot of the states and some of the provinces starting to slowly reopen things, um, you know, there is this feeling that maybe by mid-May, maybe not much later than that, or maybe by the end of May, the NHL might be in a position to have the European players come back from Europe, to have the Canadians players that are based in the U.S. go to the U.S., or the U.S. players that are based in the U.S. go to Canada. But for all the players to get back to their home bases, and go through basically another two-week, what I'll call group isolation. That is, get the team locked down in a facility, um, start small group training on and off the ice, 
ramp that up to full team training on and off the ice. And then after that phase, that's phase two, then move into phase three, which would be to go to one of four central locations. Could be done by divisions, could be done by geography, but four NHL cities that would house as many as, well, take your pick, you know, eight, seven, eight teams um, per city. And then go there for a two to three week training camp where they're locked down in a biosphere type atmosphere with a lot of testing and all the support you need to try and do this. And then go to phase four, which would be to play games, regular season games, playoff games. And everybody's timetable on this is, you know, hey, if, it, if you could get games going by the end of June, beginning of July, that'd be great. But I will tell you this, there are some scenarios out there where none of these games would take place until August, September, October. That's just to finish 2019. And we might not have 2020-21 hockey until December of later this year. Bob, within those scenarios though, do all of them more or less include some regular season games being played? Like, is there, or is there any chance that we go back to points percentage or go back to 68 games and cap it there? Yeah, it's, it's quite conceivable that after do that's the thing about these plans too. Everybody's got plans. The NHL's got all sorts of detailed plans, but you got to be flexible because you're constantly being told, nope, can't do that. Nope, sorry, the border's not open yet. Can't do that. So, yeah, I think they've got, you know, they're, they're, they're willing to try just about anything. But I think the goal is to get a minimum 76 games in the regular season. And if they could get everybody to 82. Now, I will tell you this. If, you, if you've seen the Montreal Canadiens, they've had some of their players on conference calls lately or Zooms. And Philip Deneau, Brendan Gallagher, they're like, I don't want to come back. Um, if we're going to, you know, if it does go to 76 games of the season, Montreal Canadiens are coming back for five games. All those teams that are way out of it, Ottawa, Detroit, um, you know, Anaheim, L.A., San Jose, five, six, seven games is all they've got left if you're going to 76 games. Um, and they're going to come back for a two-week shutdown period, another three weeks of training camp, play five or six and go home. But that's balanced against the finances because that 350 to $500 million I talked about, that's to give NBC some money back if they don't get the regular season and playoff games. They've got to pay Milbury's salary somewhere. Um, so, you know, same thing in, in Rogers in Canada, there'll be huge rebates going back to regional and national broadcasters if they don't play any regular season games and playoffs. So that's why there's such an intense desire to try and make it happen, but nobody knows if you're going to run out of runway or not. Would, would there be Bob enough financial incentive for the players to want to make sure that they return for those remainder remaining games? Well, that, you know, they, that's the, the quick answer to Brendan Gallagher or Philip Deneau or any other player that would say, I don't really want to come back and be locked down for five weeks to play five games. Well, then maybe you'd like to give us even more of your money for escrow because your teams need to play out the balance of some regular season games. And, the, and, and if you were to make the playoffs, um, the, the playoff revenue and hockey related revenue. So yeah, it's not an ideal situation for anybody, but there's no doubt that the national hockey league as a group, is trying desperately to put together a regular season and a playoff. Um, and as I said, they're prepared to do it right through to the end of October, maybe even to November. Um, and if they have to start 2020-21 in December, and, and maybe the later start date gives them the ability to put fans back in the stands, that's a huge factor too. Yeah, I mean, Jonesy and I have already talked about the idea that you start games, obviously, with no fans, but 
it, it's a strange scenario to picture the Stanley Cup being awarded with no fans in there, which, but it's, you know, it's a real possibility. Back to this idea, though, that Brennan Gallagher brought up, you know, I understand it, and we've talked about the Red Wings in the past. You know, really, what's the incentive for them to want to come back, play a few games if you're locked down for this long a time? But what about the players and the players who are right in the mix who think that they can win a title? I mean, I get that there's championship incentive there, but they're not going to be locked down for just a couple of weeks. They're going to be at a centralized location for potentially months, Bob. I mean, there has to be some concern there as well, even for those players who want to play. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But uh, again, it's, I mean, it's pandemic rules, which is to say there are none. And, uh, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, but the other way to look at it is, okay, well, yeah, if they bring all 31 teams back for that two-week ramp-it-up phase and then a two- to three-week training camp phase, that means all 31 teams are going to be spending at least five weeks to get ready for the, the, the rest of the regular season. How long does it take to play? A week or two to finish up the rest of the regular season? They're talking about playing three games a day, so it should be done in fairly quick order, I would think. So let, let's say it's six weeks. Well, after six weeks of that, um, you know, 15 teams will go home. And then you're going to have these playoffs, and, you know, they'll, they'll be conducted. If they were able to do best of sevens, well, after two weeks, um, eight of the 16 teams go home. So now you've got, you know, that group is, is there for, you know, an eight-week run, and then you've got eight teams left to, to start scaling it down. So you're right. The teams that go all the way or get to the final four, it is an enormous amount of time to be isolated from your family, to be locked down. What happens if there's positive tests along the way? You know, there's, there's just myriad concerns. But, you know, it all just goes back to the underlying theme that the National Hockey League is determined as best they can under the circumstances that are dictated to them by medical and health authorities and levels of government, they are determined to try and do everything they possibly can to get in as much hockey, even if it means pushing next season off to almost January. Bob, I get a sense here in the U.S. from hockey fans that I talk to that they would desperately love to have the games to watch, especially while they're sitting in their homes and not doing a whole lot right now. Uh, that's the general consensus that I feel here in the U.S. What's it like in Canada? Are the fans pressing for the teams to get back and play? You know what, Jonesy? It's the same here, but it's funny. Um, my colleague Pierre Lebrun uh, did a Twitter poll, and, and it went about the way I thought it would um, because it basically worked out that six out of ten fans desperately want the hockey back whenever it comes back. If it's in July or August or September or whatever, bring it back. The sooner the better. I need something to watch. I want to return to normalcy. Being able to watch my favorite team again in the NHL gives me that, that feeling of security and normalcy. I'm all for it. But there were four out of 10 people who basically said, you know what? Uh-uh. It's, uh, and, and I think that group of four out of 10 would be divided into, if I'm guessing here, I would divide it into two subgroups. The first one is some people just like to know what's happening. And there's a whole bunch of X factors and unknowns here. And I think there are people who are wired to say, I just want to know, is it happening or is it not happening? Cancel the season. Then I know that we're going to try and start up something next fall, and I'm fine with that. Just let me know that it's over. Um, but the NHL won't do that. Um, the other half of that group of four 
Um, I think are people that say, you know what, there's more important things to talk about in life than trying to figure out how billionaire owners and millionaire hockey players can kind of recoup some of their money along the way. And, and so that, that's the split I see anyways. And I, it's almost 50-50, but um, a lot of fans obviously do want hockey to come back just to feel normal again. Yeah, I think we can relate to all three of those scenarios. We want hockey back. We obviously see that there are huge stakes. And then there's just the day-to-day uncertainty where at least you put something there in stone, maybe you check it off the list you know, one way or the other. Uh, we talked about moving, obviously, the season back, moving the playoffs back, and how far that can go. Bob, what about the draft, which was obviously supposed to take place in late June? What are the scenarios for that? And I'm curious also, as you go into the answer, will they be influenced by how seemingly successful the NFL draft was? Yeah, no doubt about it. The, the NFL draft went well. Obviously, the ratings were huge. Um, people are starved to watch something on, on TV right now. Um, the National Hockey League, a week or 10 days ago, floated an idea to its general managers and said, you know, we don't know when or if we're going to be able to get the 2019-20 season concluded. But here, here's an idea. Even though we don't have a final order of selection, even though there's a whole bunch of X factors like what happens with all the conditional picks hinging on playoff performance, um, the league would really like to do the draft in early June, a virtual draft, same as the NFL. And they were watching closely how it went with the NFL, and I think the NHL would model itself after that. Um, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, uh, Hockey Ops headed up by Colin Campbell, they are very much in favor of doing the NHL draft in early June. Um, It got terrible reaction from a lot of the general managers, really intense. Um, More than about half the teams in the National Hockey League vociferously opposing the idea of an early June draft for a variety of reasons, some of which we talked about. What about the conditional picks? A team like the Montreal Canadiens has 14 draft picks for 2020. They were planning on trying to parlay those picks into players. They don't want to draft 14 players. They want the ability to try and, uh, to, to try and make trades. And you can't make trades if we think we might be playing the 1920 season in July, August, or September. So as I said, lots of reasons for the GMs to not like it. The NHL really likes it. They're going to make it. The league's going to make a decision on that this week. And they are right now leaning towards not having it in June because the pushback from the GMs has been as strong as it has been. But the final decision hasn't been made. And the NHL believes, listen, this would be a marketing boom. Let's get, it, let's get the draft done in early June. Let's give our hockey fans something to get excited about, put ourselves back on the map, so to speak. And then let's spend all our waking time from mid-June on trying to get our games back on. And if we get them on, great. And if we don't get them on, that's fine too. Then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take care of business for free agency and, and that sort of thing in the summer. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. You know, Bob, at this point, uh, not too many pure hockey headlines are being made, but we look at the Chicago Blackhawks, and we have one. They fired their president and CEO, John McDonough, the Hawks, saying that actually this pause in play allowed them to reassess their situation, look to the future, look to what direction they want to take. What direction do you think they may be taking? Well, it's a good question. There's a lot of uh, a lot of variables now. So, so here's the thing: it comes as a big surprise because towards the end of before the pause, um, Rocky Works, who owns the Blackhawks, basically gave a public vote of confidence to John McDonough, Stan Bowman, Jeremy Colleton. Now, all of a sudden, here we are in the middle of the pause, and John McDonough, who had really become, in many respects, the business face of that organization, even though the Works family owns it. Um, you know, McDonough was a very strong personality, front and center, um, involved in everything from business operations to hockey operations as well. Um, and now he's gone. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not boots on the ground in Chicago every day, so I don't know the dynamic there. But based on the reporting I've seen, there seems to be a suggestion that maybe John McDonough and uh, Rocky Wirtz's uh, son, Danny, um, maybe weren't getting along. And that Danny Wirtz, in fact, is now, I guess, basically overseeing the operation that, uh, that John McDonough was. It raises questions about general manager, Stan Bowman. It raises questions about the head coach, Jeremy Colton, because there's a whole new dynamic. There's somebody new calling the shots there. And there's been all sorts of talk of hiring maybe a, a president of hockey operations uh, that, that the general manager would report to. So we'll see where it all goes. There's a, a lot of unknowns right now, but, um, you know, I can't sit here and say that Stan or Jeremy Colleton are more likely to be fired now than they were, but I couldn't sit here and tell you either that they're more secure because there's just too much of an unknown quantity to the way Danny Wirtz is going to go about business. I know it's early, Bob. Any names jumping out right now? What about our good buddy Eddie Olchuk, who is Chicago hockey? Yeah, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, in the athletic there, Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers put together a list and it was a pretty expansive list and Edzo's name was was most certainly in there. Um, I, I think, you know, again, that's the nature of the beast when there's a vacancy created like that. We all want to put the names of, of who's there. I couldn't separate the ones from the, the fact from fiction ones. And, uh, and so I think we'll just have to wait and see the, the manner in which words goes about his business and what the structure is going to be. We don't even know for sure. Uh, exactly how they're going to structure it. We only know that it's a much different dynamic now with John McDonough out of the picture. Well, Bob, it is great to chat with you. Uh, it's really just great to talk about anything at this point. Good to see you. Jonesy and I look ragged. Like We look like we haven't had haircuts, shaved, done anything, probably not showered. You look great. You're, you're handling this all very well. You'll have to let us know your secrets. Well, as I like to tell my uh, colleagues at TSN, all of whom decided to grow goatees or beards or whatever, looking good never takes a day off. <laughs> and this you got advice. it down, buddy. You got it down. <laughs> ah, the great Bob McKenzie. Guys, thanks so much. Stay with us, though, because coming up next, we have Catherine Kathy's conversation with Alexander Ovechkin and Wayne Gretzky.
Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, these are certainly trying times in our country, but a unique opportunity to get the two of you together. Uh, normally that probably wouldn't happen and certainly in the same place as well. So thank you both for joining us. And uh, you know, first and foremost, I'd like to know how you guys are both doing. Wayne, I know you're in California. Can you give us an update on, on your family and how you guys have been so far? Yeah, listen, uh, first of all, thank you so much to uh, inviting Alex and I to be on this. Uh, I have a great deal of admiration and respect for him, not only as a player, but as a person. So this is fun for me, so I'm excited about it. Uh, secondly, yeah, we're like everyone else. It's a tough time. Uh, we've been really fortunate here. I think the governor of California has done a wonderful job at leading this state, uh, trying to get ahead of this uh, unfortunate situation. And uh, all in all, I think that all my friends and family members have un come to an understanding that the fastest, best way that we can prevent this is to stay indoors. And so we're all locked down like everyone else. Uh, we're praying for the best. These uh, little bit of uh, sacrifices now will pay off in, in the long run. And at the end of the day, we'll save more lives and uh, get back to as much of a normal life as possible. And Alex, you're there with your family uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. You've got your little guy, Sergey, and a new one on the way soon as well. So how has it been for you being at home? Uh, it's, it's uh, first of all, thank you for having us. It's an uh, uh, unbelievable uh, honor for me to talk uh, with Wayne on the phone and uh, uh, be with him. And, uh, you know, we have a very really good relationship. You know, like he's always supporting me. And, uh, you know, it's a uh, it's huge honor for me. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you very much for uh, asking how's uh, my family doing. Like we're doing, we're doing well. Uh, Sergey's sleeping right now, and um, I'm just uh, playing video games. Like you know, my uh, my personal trainer here, and uh, after the interview, we're going to do some uh, workout outside the street and uh, outside the house, obviously. And uh, you know, just uh, hanging there. You know, it's uh, uh, it's time for us to uh, stay home. You know, you just uh, wait when uh, everything is going to be. Uh, normal and uh, you know back to work uh, I hope it's going to be soon you guys have both mentioned um, so far in the opening comments about your relationship with one another and I'd like you to take us back to the first time that you guys met in California just a couple years ago Alex why don't you start us off with how the meeting came about and what your initial thoughts were when you found out you were meeting Wayne Gretzky for the first time yeah it was uh, it was crazy you know it's uh, um, you never dream about, uh, of course, you want to meet uh, the great one and, uh, you know, uh, talk to him, shake his hands. And, uh, but uh, when Sergey uh, told me, like, uh, we have opportunity to go uh, to uh, have a dinner with uh, Wayne and uh, uh, with his, in his family, like, it was, uh, it was a special moment. And, uh, you know, like, uh, I sure, yeah, for sure, like, we, we're going to do it. And uh, uh, it was great, you know, I asked him questions uh, because... As a kid, you always wants to dream. Uh, you want, you want, always wants to know like uh, how it was back then uh, when when he played. And, you know uh, what's the difference between uh, this hockey and uh, hockey uh, back then. But uh, you know it's it's great. You know um, uh, me and my wife, uh, um, uh, me and his family. It's uh, you know and uh, we are always in shock how good they are as persons. And uh, you know it's uh, um, it was a big honor for us. And uh, you know. Um, how I said, when you're a little, a little kid, uh, you you just want to shake your hands. But, uh, you know, even right now, I'm talking in, uh, with Wayne on the phone. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, a huge privilege. 
<laughs> That's nice. Um, for me, it was pretty simple. First of all, um, I had the great fortune of being the coach when he scored maybe one of the greatest goals we've ever seen in hockey. Uh, I had the best seat in the house. I was behind the bench when he went through the whole team and was on his back and scored a, a wonderful goal. But as he said, we got an opportunity to have dinner and we had a wonderful night. We were in Malibu, California. The Capitals were in town to play. And I will tell you this, the thing that I found so fascinating about uh, Alex wasn't so much about um, individualism, scoring goals, how to become a better player. The whole night was questions about what can I do or what do I need to do as captain to help get our team over the hump? What can I do to contribute to winning the Stanley Cup for the Washington Capitals and the city of Washington? And I remember leaving there thinking, wow, this is so unique. Uh, we could have talked about anything, goals, assists, games, memories. And really, Alex, the only thing he had on his mind was, I have to bring a Stanley Cup to the city of Washington. And so for me, that was one of the great parts of the whole evening. And I knew then and there, leaving the restaurant, that one day he was going to lift the Stanley Cup. It's just incredible the, the mutual admiration you guys have for one another. And Alex, I know that, you know, Wayne having won four Stanley Cups himself at the time of the meeting, you hadn't won your Stanley Cup yet. What were some of the leadership qualities that you were asking Wayne about that you really wanted to know to make yourself better and to make your teammates around you better as well? Yeah. Um, like that, that question was, uh, you know, it's uh, because we have uh, uh bad playoffs time, you know, we uh, maybe passed the first round, but we never get through the second round. And uh, I asked him, like, uh, advice, like, uh, how I have to react, you know, what I have to tell the team. And, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, that advice what he gave me is, uh, you know, help. Uh, obviously, it's have to be lots of uh, good reasons for us to uh, win the cup. It's not only one guy can win it. It's have to be all the team. And uh, I think uh, the mostly guys... Uh, uh, who've been in the uh, championship team realize that uh, that uh, it doesn't matter what now who scored uh, who's on the ice they have to be like everybody have to support each other and uh, you know it's uh, how I said um, you know he he wants everything and uh, uh, he knows how to win and uh, back then uh, you know I win only individual awards but I never won uh, Stanley Cup and my dream was uh, win Stanley Cup and I asked him. Uh, what I can do better uh, and uh, what I what I have to do better uh, to bring Stanley Cup home. You two are both being mentioned in the same conversation now quite frequently. Alex uh, having just scored his 700th and now at 706 career goals, of course, um, chasing the great one and that number 894. Uh, Wayne, I'm curious to get your thoughts on you know, the, the conversation that is happening right now with the two of you and, of course, Alex's chase for your all-time record, uh, what is your response to all of the noise and, of course, the success that Alex is having on the ice in his career? Well, first of all, I think that um, our game is so fortunate with guys like Alex, Sidney Crosby. Uh, not only are they great ambassadors for their particular cities, and for their organizations, but for their countries also. And as proud as Sydney is, and I am of Canada, uh, Alex is that proud of being uh, from Russia. And it was always the first guy to jump over the boards to participate in world championships, Olympic games, and loves the game of hockey. And so I can't help but cheer and root for him each and every day. 
I watch a lot of his games. I probably watch almost every game he plays. I hope for him to score goals. I pull for him to score goals. I think it's great for the game. I think that what he's doing is tremendous. I remember when I was breaking Gordie Howe's record, my dad said to me at one point in time, your record is going to be broken one day, and I hope you have as much class and dignity as Gordie Howe has had with you breaking his record. And I hope I do. I hope that uh, I'm the first guy to be able to shake his hand when he does break my record. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he has a, he has a great chance to do that. He plays on a good team. He plays with good players. And most importantly, Alex plays hard every single night. And to me, if you don't play hard every night, those are kind of records you can't break. And he does that. And so I think it's great for hockey. I think it's wonderful for Washington and the Capitals. I think it's outstanding for Alex and his family. And I'm rooting for him as hard as anybody. So I think it'll be a great, wonderful day for the game of hockey when he gets to, to the record. Um, now, in saying that, um, I hope that I get one of his sticks because I gave him one of my sticks. So maybe we can do a nice trade. <laughs> Wayne referenced uh, giving one of his sticks to Alex Ovechkin. I know it happened just this past fall, Alex, right around your birthday. You received a stick that you had been asking for for some time. Can you share the story about what it was like to finally get the stick that you had been asking for? <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously everybody knows I'm a huge, uh, huge uh, stick collector and uh, have uh, almost 100 sticks. And uh, after a dinner, I asked him, like, uh, Wayne, can you uh, give me a game-use stick? I don't know if you still have it or not. And he said, yeah, uh, win the cup and I'll give you a stick. And uh, <laughs> um, I want, we, we won the cup and uh, I tell Sergey, Sergey, uh, I need a Wayne stick uh, because, like, uh, you know, he promised to me. And... Uh, Finally, I get the stick, and uh, I was happy as a little, like a little kid to give a, you know, have a uh, Christmas gift. And uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's in my my collection. And uh, you know, it's uh, uh, you know, when you when you hold this, like uh, I get it in the, uh, at the uh, Metscar Icebox uh, in our practice facility, and uh, all the guys uh, see that, and uh, you know, um, you realize like uh, how how gear is changing right now. Uh, how our how sticks is lighter than um, Wayne sticks when he played uh, in the 90s and 80s. It's uh, uh, it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, right now, if you uh, want to try this stick, uh, you probably, like, if, I, if I'm if i going to use this stick, I'm probably not, not going to shoot uh, as hard as I should right now. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, something... Uh, you dream about and uh you know it's uh, it's always nice to uh, have uh, uh sticks as a uh, best player of the game <laughs> well it was cute because he asked me after dinner we were standing in the parking lot and he said okay can i get one of your game used sticks and i said all right when you win the stanley cup i'll make sure i get you one and he never bothered me one time until he won the cup and i heard from him once a month uh, where's my uh, stick we found an old stick. Peter Miller, our trainer at the time, used to number every one of my sticks and jerseys and gloves. And I found I was looking for the 808 number stick, and I couldn't find it. It was in the uh, – I think it's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I found 807. It was numbered. It was my 807th goal. And I sent it to him, and I remember thinking, wow, I don't give away these things, but I'm so happy I got to send one to him, and I was very proud of the fact that he wanted it.
Well, when you guys talk about the stick, but also the equipment, Alex, you were referencing, and uh, you know the way the game has changed and evolved over the last couple decades, uh, Wayne, how would your game fare in today's NHL? How would it be different this time? Oh, listen, the game's completely different. Uh, the players are bigger, stronger, faster. They're such uh, great athletes, and and uh, it's just and you know it's a positive because that means our game's getting better. Twenty years from now, the players are going to be better than they are today, and that's a great thing about our sport. Um, the only thing that I honestly, really, every now and then think about is if I'm watching a game, I often sit there and go, "Wow." This would have been a lot of fun playing three-on-three overtime when I played. That's the one big difference of the game that I see. But uh, in saying that, listen, I have nothing but admiration and respect for these guys. They're just tremendous athletes. Uh, I'm very proud of the fact that I was part of the National Hockey League, and I'm proud of the fact that I'm a huge fan of the way they play today and, more importantly, how they conduct themselves. They just they love to play. They love to compete. It's a harder game today, but that's all a good thing. 20 years from now, it'll be harder than it is today. Alex, do you think it would have been harder to play in Wayne's era than it is for you to play on a nightly basis now? No. Uh, I don't know. It's a tough question, but uh, <laughs> um, when I started playing hockey, it was a uh, uh, total different uh, um it's all different hockey, yeah. you know. I started playing in Russia, and uh, uh, back then it was uh, different rules, obviously. And uh, when I came to the NHL, it was uh, different rules. So um, you have you have to uh, change your mind, you have to change your uh, body to uh, be in the same level, of, uh, uh, like because I was uh, how Wayne said, um, you know, lots of uh, lots of uh, young kids come to the game, and uh, you can't catch them. Uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, look at. Uh, uh, McDavid, look at the, you know, the Vrana, like, you know, all those guys, like, uh, who, um, you know, skating good, like, it's impossible to catch them. Uh, so you have to get used to it and you have to get your mind ready for that. Alex, uh, we were referencing the, the dinner and the meal that you had with Wayne and the conversations and what you wanted to learn from him. And we've really seen you evolve as a player, uh, watching you play and now your 15th season with the Washington Capitals, but also off the ice. You've really embraced the community a lot. You've um, become a more mature individual off the ice as well. At what point did you sense that evolution was happening with you? Um, I think... Uh... Uh, the people who uh, around me and helped me a lot, you know, it's starting with the uh, uh, capitalist organization, you know, Sergey, you know, like uh, all those guys uh, who uh, helped me out since uh, they came to the uh, team. And, uh, you know, um, my wife helped me a lot as well. And, uh, you know, um, because it's basically uh, like on the ice, you can do it by yourself and off the ice, you can do it by yourself as well. You have to have a good team. Uh, uh, around you to uh, uh, do that kind of stuff, and uh, of course you uh, you maybe do it once, but uh, you know when uh, the people uh, around you uh, wants to give you more, uh, it's uh, it helps. Alex, I know for for there was it seemed like and maybe for you, but the, everybody was watching so intently on when you were going to score your 700th goal, and it, it seemed like you know it was a couple games there. You were sitting at 6.99, and Wayne, I know you found a way to communicate to Alex and share some advice on what he needed to do to kind of relieve the pressure. What exactly did you want to tell Alex in order to help him achieve that 700 milestone? <laughs> well, listen, um, 
I was lucky enough. I had the greatest uh, role model ever in Gordie Howe. And I was just saying to Alex, I texted him and said, you know, 699, not a lot of people have been there. And I don't think people realize the microscope that you're under. I saw his coach of the Capitals uh, in, in a press conference talking about how much more attention there was, how many more media people, how many more people were following the club. And I understood that. I've, I've been there. And it's a little bit gut-wrenching. And you get a little bit tight, you get a little bit nervous. And all I texted him and said was, just relax. You're going to get to 700 real quick. And before you know it, you're going to be at 800. And so basically my advice to him was just play, be yourself. Play the game like you always do with a great deal of emotion and passion. Listen, he's fun to watch. He's great to watch. Uh, just I, I can't say enough good things about him. And uh, what he's doing right now has just been wonderful for the game of hockey. But let me say another thing about when you asked Alex about maturing. You know, I think there's so much focus when kids come in at 19, 20, 21, 22, and they go, okay, you should win a Stanley Cup by now. It takes time. And 21 is still only 21. And we all mature at a different age. Alex came along. There was a lot of pressure on him, not only to win a Stanley Cup there, but to build hockey and build more momentum in the city of Washington and the Washington area. And it takes a little bit of time. And he had a lot of good people around him, a great organization, a great owner. And uh, he deserves all the accolades he's getting. He's been wonderful for hockey. Alex, what is your response to that? Uh, you know, to hear that kind of uh, uh, words from uh, the, the great one, it's uh, it's uh, something special. So I'm kind of shy right now. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't well, shy at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, uh, whatever Wayne said in his message to you uh, allowed you to reach that 700 milestone. What was that moment like for you, Alex, when you hit 700? Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, you know, when you scored uh, seven. Uh, uh, 698, 699, you think like, okay, next game I will score, uh, you know, then uh, you want to do it quick as possible, you know, and uh, even my wife tell me like, okay, uh, we're going to play at home, you have to score. Uh, so I'm a, like, I know like, uh, uh, you know, every time I have a puck, like, uh, you know, or a chance to score a goal, like, it's just like, you know, it's like, why didn't you put it in? Like, it's, it uh, looks like easy, but it's not. And uh, I can tell you right now, like, uh, when we play the different teams uh, and when I get closer, uh, the guys don't want to be in, on the ice to when I score the goal. And, uh, you know, um, and lots of guys tell me, like, uh, hey, congrats with your uh, all uh, goals, but uh, not tonight. I say, okay, we'll see. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, yeah, pressure was on, but, uh, you know, my teammates uh um, you know, do obviously great job to uh, set up me for uh, moments, you know, like chances. And uh, um, we all knew like it's, it's going to happen. And um, uh, when it's happening, it's kind of really from your shoulder. And uh, you just uh, uh, have a uh, good time in the, with your team and uh, especially in the family. And, you know, everybody was so happy. So um, it was cool. Before we leave and uh, before we depart, this amazing conversation that fans have had a glimpse to, you know, to see you both again and to hear from you and the memories you've had. Uh, Wayne, I'd like to start with you for your message for the fans and for everyone right now going through this tough time. Uh, what, what is your message to everyone? Thank you to all the healthcare workers, the firefighters, the policemen, the doctors, the nurses. And of course, just important, importantly, 
the priests, the ministers, the rabbis, and nuns who have had to deal with so much tragedy. Wayne, thank you for that. Alex, uh, what is your message to the fans? Uh, yeah, thank you everybody at, uh, to uh, help people uh, fight with the uh, with the coronavirus. It's uh, it's tough time, uh, but uh, um, we fight it together. And uh, the most important thing is. Uh, uh, take care of yourself, take care of your family, uh, please stay home, uh, wait when it's over, and, uh, you know, uh, we all miss each other, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a time, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a time for us to think, uh, you know, better to, uh, be safe, and, uh, better to help each other out, and, uh, uh, thank you, uh, uh for, uh, having me here, it's a huge pleasure for me to talk with you, uh, with Wayne, and, uh, you know, it's uh, um, it's it's privilege, and um, uh, I'm happy to be here. Wayne said off the top of the show, he believes you will break his record, and he will be there when you do. Alex, can you do it? Um, I'm going to try my best, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both so much for right, your thank you. Thanks. words thank of you guys. and thank uh, you. It's great to see you both. Bye. Thank you again. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.